0: Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Larry Stutzrein, Director of Research at the Mitchell Institute for Aerospace Studies, and welcome to this installment of Aerospace Nation. Today, we are going to talk about real solutions, not merely aspirations. When C.Q. Brown took over as Chief of Staff of the Air Force, he issued a stark warning, Accelerate Change Loose. Now, this wasn't new in the Department of Defense about six or seven years earlier, when uh, Ash Carter was Secretary of Defense, he issued a couple uh, initiatives to speed innovation. A few years later, Heather Wilson, as Secretary of the Air Force, uh, directed an s S&T and strategy review, and that resulted in a new strategy called s S&T and 2030. The dilemma understood by all is about falling behind, moving too slowly to transform our military concepts in capabilities for the return of pure conflict. Clear hold and build is not gonna work. Cold war light is not gonna work. More to the point, aspirations of being innovative and wishes of greater speed and more innovation offices and repeated trips to Silicon Valley for inspiration, well, they might help, but they're not the solutions. What's needed is rolling up the sleeves and doing the sweat work. It's the big lift that's required to break out of current modes that turn science and technology into warfighting capability. And that's what we're here today to discuss. The Air Force Research Labs War Tech Initiative. It's doing exactly what's needed. Our guest today and his team are accelerating innovation and importantly, restoring a powerful partnership between the technologist In the warfighter. WarTech channels the lab's resources and it's incredibly dedicated and talented workforce against challenges that advance the Air Force and Space Force to a future force design, designed to check peer adversaries. This is not technological uh, adventurism. Uh, It's not another innovation experiment that wastes time and money. It's about gaining big leap capabilities needed to on-ramp to the future force design of the Department of the Air Force. And it uses that synergy that comes with bringing the warfighter and the technologists together. It involves breaking out of the career and staffing stovepipes and operating with the same sense of urgency that guardians and airmen do in conflict. So to learn more about transformational capabilities in the war tech process, I'm pleased to be joined by Mr. Chris Ristich. He's the Director, Air Force Strategic Development Planning and Experimentation Office in the Transformational Capabilities Office at the Air Force Research Laboratory. His office is responsible for facilitating air staff sponsored development planning activities, experimentation campaigns, and accomplishing multi-domain modeling, simulation and analysis and he implements the transformational component of the Air Force science and technology strategy. This includes managing those uh, big bet payoff programs, uh, those technology demonstrations that you probably know as vanguards. And at WarTech, of course, the WarTech process also falls under his purview. So Chris, welcome to Aerospace Nation uh, from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. How's the weather? Uh, not,
1: not very good today, unfortunately. Uh, Pretty rainy and chilly outside.
0: I can imagine. Well, thanks for joining us today. And I'd like to give you a few minutes up front to offer some of your thoughts. Over to you, Chris.
1: Thanks. Um, Yeah, as you indicated, uh, you know, a a convergence of some incredible demand signals that we're facing today, Um, you know, never a a more challenging um, uh, uh, objectives for us to achieve than, than we've been given um, uh, if I could, I'll just take a minute and kind of paint what I consider to be the landscape um, that's that's driving some of that as well. You know, clearly now we've got a new national defense strategy out there um, that builds off of the last one, um, and uh, and and that that compelling need really to to rebuild ourselves to face peer level uh, foes. But we also have a really challenging climate, right? We have, uh, you know, in my world in science and technology, of course, one of the biggest challenges to face is 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 the simple reality that the the DOD and even the United States are not going to be the dominant providers of science and technology in in the world so we can't rely on that in the way that we have before so it changes our 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 model if you will and you know as we go through the discussion today you know I want to talk about how we leverage those things so you mentioned silicon valley and and non-traditionals we absolutely need to leverage those but The defense companies play a huge role in what we have to accomplish here. And and to me, it's all about aligning resources. We have to focus and be effective in the way we do this. And it's not just about being relevant. It's about about making a difference, about return on investment, about actually achieving what we need to achieve to to create deterrence and have that ability to fight that next fight, um, hopefully so that we don't have to. So um, um, that said, uh, other challenges that we're facing in in, in my world, uh, you mentioned some of the the challenges of the strategy that have been given to us by the secretary. I think we'll come probably back to that a little bit more through the discussion today. But um, in in my world as well, uh, as we've made this major change within AFRL, we have a lot of internal processes that are are still evolving. Our own processes are still very much evolving and learning. we, we label ourselves a learning uh, organization so that we can adapt rapidly and, and bring bring positive change into our processes and our portfolio. Um, and, and one of the biggest changes of course we're facing is the evolution of how we get our demand signal. The the future force is, is what we're all about um, for both of the organizations you listed. So I, I'm really dual-hatted over two organizations, strategic development planning and experimentation, an office that's been around for about six years now and does major operational experiments and prototypes. And then more recently the Transformational Capability Office, which is the, the organization that, that, that uh, executes this WarTech process that we're focusing on today. So tremendous uh, uh, changes in our landscape, the stand up of the Space Force and, and the, the new emphasis on different organizations there, Space Requirements, the Chief Technology and, and Innovation Office, the, uh, the Space Warfare Analysis Center, all parts of the ecosystem that we need to tie into. And, and they're doing an incredible job. Uh, we have to figure out how to best fit into their processes. And, that, and that's a constant learning uh, process for us well. Um, so the stand-up of the Space Force was a pretty significant uh, effort for the entire department, as, you're, as you obviously know. Um, all of these things are, are kind of coming together with a convergence um, that we have to be effective in, in how we make our S and investments, and that's what WarTech is all about, right? It's about it's a strategy, really, to how to develop the, the the investment portfolios that we have to make a difference for the for the future warfighter.
0: Very good, Chris. Uh, I just uh, want to we'll get to the process in a little bit, but I want to set some context and 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 for our audience, you know, this term WarTech once again underscores it's the mashup of warfighter and technologists is where we get WarTech. There's nothing uh, uh, more fundamental to what this initiative is about. Um, I think a major facet, Chris, that separates WarTech from other s and initiatives is that close collaboration you seek to achieve with uh, key actors uh, at you know Air Force and Space Force Futures, the MAGCOMs, the broader operational community. Can you speak to this? Why is it so important to have that level of engagement throughout the war tech process?
1: So, uh, you know, fundamental, uh, a fundamental aspect or attribute of, of, of the way we wanna do business is, is building our stakeholder buy-in early in the process. And so we, we, we don't wanna go through a, a long-term development of, of, of science and technology yeah. that, that isn't going to be embraced by the warfighter that may not be at the top of the warfighters list. And so we start with that, that kind of an engagement um, to, to, to bring in the stakeholders early. Uh, and you know one of, the, one of the observations I've made is, especially when we're focusing on transformational capabilities, which is the heart of what we're doing, Transformational capabilities typically mean there will be new CONOPS, TTPs involved with it. We we have to have the operator as part of that process from the very beginning, and and that mantra of getting technology into the hands of the warfighter early to understand how to use it and where it works and where it doesn't work. That's all part of this ecosystem, and and then the the other parts too. We 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 talk about war tech being the contraction of those two words. But it's more than that too, right? The uh, and, and first and foremost acquisition too. Acquisition has to be one of those stakeholders that's in the, in that in that process from the very beginning too. And it's more than that. You know, it, it, it may be aspirational, but we want to understand life cycle issues early. Uh, we don't have to solve them early, but we have to understand them so that we can make our investments wisely. So that's that to me is is the heart of what we do. Getting, getting the, the key stakeholders, and that is the operators, the acquisition world, the MAGCOMs, and the Future Force developers all, uh, all on board and resonating and driving you know, what we do.
0: So, so, could you go a step further? Uh, who are those main key stakeholders? And uh, you talked a little bit about it just now, but what, what inputs exactly do you need from them?
1: So um, you know, if we look at the, the future force developers, of course, the force uh, organizations like Air Force Futures, formerly AFWIC, uh, organizations like SWAC, um, uh, Space Futures, and the S5, um, and the CTIO from a technology point of view, uh, we, we have to have an understanding of what that future force looks like. What, 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 where is, what is the vision that they want to achieve? But you know, from my point of view, there's 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 two different aspects to that. One is is as we understand better what they need to be able to accomplish, what, what, what kind of, of military capability do we need to achieve? Um, and, and then we use we a sort of strategy-driven process. How do we break down, decompose those challenges based on our understanding of current and emerging science and technology? But the other thing I'd add to that too is, is we want to be partners with those future force thinkers so that we can help inform and shape the future force design as well. So it really is a two-way street, right? Um, other key stakeholders, uh, obviously the s and community, but not just within AFRL, but across the, across the government essentially, and, and into a, and private private uh, industry and academia as well. So we wanna, and, and, and each cycle, we'll talk more about, I think about the vortex cycles, but each cycle, we, we try to, to, to engage those communities in a, in a deeper and more meaningful fashion. And we'll, I'll give some examples of those later on, I think. But working with industry, academia, other go- government organizations, harvesting the best uh, uh, capabilities and, and that we can and bring them into our ecosystem is part of what we're doing. You know, we have a vision of, of a, a pipeline of ideas, of technologies that we can bring together to focus on those, those those really tough challenges of the Future Force. Um, the MAGCOMs, the, uh, and even the COCOMs, key parts of what we do. Uh, having the Future Force developers as part of our team is key, but we also have to have uh, have uh, people who are current in operations and tactics and can help shave. And that's been a, a, a huge positive impact uh, on our programs. And, and then beyond that, even think joint service, think coalition partners. And we've had, we've had some examples of both of those already in our WarTech process. We want to be able to expand that uh, over time and make that even more comprehensive.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's great, Chris. Uh, we uh, have looked at this, uh, you know, the whole speeding up innovation. And <clears throat> it's interesting with that, maybe about 20 to 30 years ago, we had a much closer relationship between the technologists and the warfighter. And for a lot of... Uh, understandable reasons and some stove piping, and so forth, uh, that somewhat fell apart. So, it's a wonderful thing to see you bring that back together as almost a uh, pathfinder for the greater uh, S and community. And it, in particular, you know, Air Force Futures is still maturing, as you know. Uh, th- that was a, a major change in how the Air Force was doing business, and uh, and they're working hard, but they're still maturing, and they own that future force design. So do you see that relationship between you and Air Force Futures changing or maturing itself or becoming more integrated in the future? Yeah,
1: I think it's, it's constantly um, evolving as as Air Force Futures is constantly evolving and as we yeah. are constantly yeah. evolving, so absolutely. But if I could take a step back for a moment, you brought up a really important point. Um, we certainly didn't invent the concept of bringing, you know, warfighters and technologists together. I think it's been yeah. part of what uh, as a service and a department has been part of our success for a very long time. In fact, 20 years ago or so, you mentioned, I look back to the capability collaboration teams that each of the major commands had for the core functions. And those processes did work. They didn't allow us to, to optimize globally uh, and, and necessarily transform ourselves but we had some really good uh, partnerships there. And we, we understood where the, the major command shortfalls were and we could drive science and technology solutions. This is bringing it to a new level where, we, where we're really looking at system and systems multi-domain holistically. And that challenge is, is, is even more difficult, uh, obviously. You know, as, as for our, our partnership with Future Force, um, it, you know, our, our mantra has been, in fact, on the, on the SDPE part of my house, our mantra has been that we we wanted to or aspired to be uh, an execution arm for them from the very beginning, and, and 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 how that works is is evolving over time. I would see the TCO and the WarTech processes helping to enable that as well too. We we want to be the ones that help take their ideas and starting start to actually distill them into into science and technology and ultimately into reality. So so the we have to be connected at the hip. And again, you know, there's the the whole parallel on the Space Force side that is building over time, Um, and we're working out, reaching out, working with that part of the community. Frankly, on the space side, you know, we we rely heavily on our partners in the Space Vehicles uh, Directorate of of Air Force Research Lab, but also working to build bridges directly with those other organizations as well. So we have, um, I I think our our DNA is sort of wired to be, you know, driven by these kinds of the, the future force leaning organizations of the department, um, but we also have to be tied into the, the rest of those, those, uh, the rest of the ecosystem, as we described, the actual operators. Uh, Warfare center is a great example too, you know, uh, someone that can bring a, a true understanding of tactics and how to use new technologies uh, to their full advantage. So it's it's that kind of dynamic partnership that we're working to build and support the future forces.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Plus, they, they concentrate a lot of the uh, experience, uh, <laughs> fighter experience in those places. And that's a rare thing these days, as you know, in it today's is. Air Force. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we have to kind of look at how this is resourced because it's a lot of good talk, Chris. And you get, your team is, is uh, very distinctive in how talented it is, but how aggressive it is to improve in each cycle. And uh, when I looked at investment that AFRL is making, it was about 20 percent, 19 or 20 percent of the budget. And that's not chunk change. Not- uh, what's driving this level of funding? And it's it does seem to speak to serious Department of the Air Force commitment.
1: Yep, it, it is a huge commitment. Right. And, and, it, and it, it is a zero sum game. And it, it, it didn't increase our, our, our TOA in the laboratory but uh, it, was, it was a challenge that was originally given in the 2019 science and technology strategy signed by the secretary. Um, it called for, for uh, uh, at least 20% of our, uh, of our budget to focus on that on transformational capabilities. Um, enacting it was, was the next step, right? And so identifying that as a challenge is one. I, I truly have to give credit to AFRL leadership for standing up to that challenge because it really it forced some very difficult decisions internally in a zero-sum game to start to start refocusing um, resources. And we've done that as a, a, a very steep ramp over a, a small number of years to achieve that 20%. But that's that's where the number really came from. When, but when you look at it, it's more complicated than that too, because um, it, it is a significant amount of the of the total budget. But as we, as we identify these new impactful programs, so we're really, I, I look at our, our portfolio as being essentially a smaller number of, of, of impactful programs that are really uh, trying to tackle the greatest challenges the department has. And, and as we do that, we do that in partnership with those same AFRL technology directorates that that, yeah, we've, right. that we've harvested those funds from, right? right. And, then, and they yeah. essentially over time, they return back to those, those directorates to help us with the actual execution because we're a small office. We rely on the might of AFRL, 3,500 plus scientists and engineers to execute that portfolio. And I think, I think the directorates are, are, are beginning to, to see the value in doing that. So we'll do fewer things, but we'll do things that are really impactful and make a difference for the future force.
0: That's very good. Um, you know, this genesis of uh, transformational capabilities uh, office and then subsequently, WarTech was in that s and review that Heather Wilson uh, directed when she was Secretary of the Air Force. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the shortcomings that that review identified and how WarTech was designed to address those uh, shortcomings? Right. The, it, so it obviously, it
1: didn't specify WarTech per se but WarTech was a specific uh, application to, to address some of the challenges. But the challenges that were in there, um, it, it talked about the need to carve off this, this, this portion of the budget to go after transformational capabilities um, to develop, to, essentially to focus on strategic capabilities. Uh, and it, and it, the challenge that it gave us was to do that independent of the technology uh, uh, organized uh, directorates that we have. And you know it's it's a constant challenge. I've seen this throughout my career. You you want to have you want to have uh, uh, areas of of deep deck technical competence that you maintain and foster within the laboratory, but at the same time you want to be able to have an expertise in how to bring them all together and integrate them into capabilities. And I think that's what that's what we've really been allowed to do here and able to do. So. The, the strategy gave us the challenge to carve off the funds, to focus on strategic capabilities, to manage those outside of the technology directorates. And we've done that by establishing the Transformational Capability Office, by implementing more tech as the, as the core process to go from strategy to, to reality, strategy to, to technology to capability, essentially.
0: Yeah, that's, that's uh, pretty exciting. Uh, I'd note that Wartech uh, isn't the first new innovation out of the gate. Uh, I might classify you as being part of a second wave, and the, of course, there's great advantages to that. Uh, you get the benefits of lessons learned, you know, from these other other yes. things. How's that shaped your design? Have you seen pluses and minuses, strengths and weaknesses? You've been thought about?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I and, and the way I look at it is a number of these other organizations. They do things that are very differently. We didn't try to step into this space and simply recreate what others right. like Outwork, DIU, yeah. and sure. others have done and are doing still. In fact, what we found is partnering with them is is what we want to do, and we've done that very kind of thing, right? So um, I, I see us as 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 being complementary to the kind of work they do. In fact, uh, hopefully, someone that can ingest the products that they that they develop as well. But we focus on. On strategy, we focus on getting warfighter buy-in early in the process. You know, and, and remember the timelines are typically different. Well, with the with the war tech process, we're talking about science and technology. We're talking about efforts that are going to last for three, four, maybe even five years. So that the the time epic is a little different from what you see in a lot of those other innovation units, where they're they're much more about rapidly getting capability into the into the field. We're going to have few projects. We're going to get all of the the stakeholder buy in before we make the big investment, and they will be yes. large investments to get to that capability. So it really is complementary to those those kinds of programs, and we've learned a lot from watching them as well.
0: Well, I I think that's a, a grand slam to be able to plot transition early in the process, even knowing that there's some risk whether the demonstration is going to work out or not. Um, so I, you're Partner feedback, your stakeholder feedback has been very important to you, and you've had the uh, cycle now up and running for two full cycles. Of course, I, I would assume the first cycle was a real prototyping. Uh, you're in the middle of the third. Uh, how do you gather inputs and work these process improvements?
1: So, it constant, nonstop evolution, essentially. Right, we're always looking for feedback, um, and 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 we get it. Uh, the, the very first cycle, I'll be honest with you, was very rough. It was done very rapidly. It was done with a skeleton crew of, of, of TCO folks running the Wartech process. Um, but it, it launched us into the capability and we learned rapidly. The difference between our first cycle and our second cycle is orders of magnitude uh, of improvement, yeah. just so much more uh, significant. And we'll talk more, I think, about the specifics of that Wartech process, but um, constant feedback, uh, you'll you'll see. I mentioned how it, it is still a little bit aspirational, but we're we're working each cycle to bring greater opportunity for industry and academia to engage these processes as well. Um one of I'll, I'll you know steal a little bit of my future thunder here, but part of what we're part of what we're trying to do is is package the future force challenges as challenge problems, challenge problems to be met. And and if we do that, then we can look for solutions within AFRL. We can look for solutions in our DoD and other government partners, we can look to academia and industry for solutions to meet those and really try and harvest the best of the ideas. Um, so that's, that's part of where we're, we're taking it, but it's constant improvement, constant feedback. We're always looking for feedback in the process. Give you an example, uh, uh, this cycle in 3.0, uh, based on feedback from some of the, um, the senior technical leadership in the, in the department. We've added independent re- uh, red team reviews. We've added independent technical reviews to our process to ensure yeah. that we really got the quality and the focus that we need in the products that are coming out of those as well.
0: Uh, you know, I, I will say this as an observer uh, from the outside, that there's no ego on your team, by the way. Uh, it's, it's a very engineering-minded approach in that you look at this problem of work tech, how to develop this process, and and really take in anybody's perspective to see how it might adjust and improve that system. And that's, and that's also different, I'll say that, I know you won't say that, but that's different from some of the other uh, prototypings we've seen where there was a lot of pride in a future output, which wasn't uh, necessarily uh, forthcoming. But, uh, so you got us here, uh, Chris, let's talk about the cycle itself. Where does that effort begin, and, and how do you decide who to partner with? What's the life cycle as you work through the system in this WarTech yeah. process?
1: Yeah, and a comment about you know your, your previous comment. Part of our mantra since the standup of SDPE, and then and then as we stood up the TCO and the WarTech process has been to be te- technology agnostic, but yeah. but technology savvy, as I like to say, we want to be experts in manipulating technology but we don't have a not invented here because we don't invent anything here, right? We're, we're harvesting the best of the best from across the department, from across government, from across academia and industry. And, and I'll tell you honestly, as a side note, um, when I stepped into this job and had that opportunity, think about it, before that, throughout for several decades, I won't be specific here, of working in the laboratory, my job was always to was always to focus on a very specific technology area and and create expert create create excellence out of that that technology, but now we have uh, now we're problem centric right we're capability focused and problem centric, and that's a really exciting place to be, and it's kind of hard to want to go do anything else once you've been doing something like this. So yeah. it's pretty exciting, and you're right. Humility imagine. is part of that. We 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 have plenty to be you know humble about. Uh, because we've had some we've had some falls along the way but we've learned and we've done better and I, again I'm I'm proud of the team for what they've accomplished and and they are they're they're we we competitively filled this team with with some incredible uh, team members now back to your question so so what does the wartech process actually look like um, the very first part and actually this was this by the way was was an improvement made after the first cycle after the first cycle we realized we really had to start by scoping Scoping uh, the challenges um, um, uh, well, and and part of that scoping process was was to look across both our current investment portfolio, look across the demand signal we're getting from the future force, and establish priority areas areas that we're going to start and focus on. And so we worked we we created a process within Wartech where we engage. We engage uh, th- those future force planners, um, operators from across MAJCOMs, COCOMs, field commands and so forth. And we converge on, on specific challenges within the future force that have been identified by the future force developers. Um, and the outcome of those scoping workshops as we as we refine it is, are those challenge problems that I talked about. So as we, we look at, at meaningful operational challenges going out uh, 10, 15 years perhaps, um, what how do we quantify what we want to accomplish to be able to meet those operational challenges. That's the vision and we're getting better and better at that. And again, as we as we better define that process, we'll be able to go to more directly to industry, academia and our other developing partners to help look for specific solutions to meet those operational challenges. So that's the first step, how do we scope it? Which is all about strategy, it's all about priority and that's 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 part of the the payoff here right is we don't want things that are just relevant we want things that are critical what are, what are the okay. most critical things that we can work on so we can be the most relevant then the we go through you know we call it an ideation and curation phase so once you've established the challenge problem how do you how do you resolve it what what kinds of concepts can you develop technology enabled concepts that can meet those challenges and again, as we, even as we build that, those ideations, that, that's still with the operator, it's not just technologists. Uh, and it's looking at an, an early exploration of what would the con ops be to fuel that kind of a concept. And so as those, as those um, proposals, they, they do turn into pro proposals, we go from challenge problems, ultimately to uh, less than half a dozen typically proposals uh, to meet individual challenge problems throughout that cycle. Um, that cycle then goes through, as I mentioned, now uh, independent technical review, independent red team uh, a, a review, and, and recommendations. And ultimately, we we bring this we bring these proposals to a group we call the, an executive committee and an excom uh, that represents acquisition, both uh, air and space, represents requirements on both air and space side, and rep- represents the TEO, our commander, General Pringle. That group then establishes the priorities for funding. So once again, we take ourselves out of the loop. We will queue up decisions to be made based on analysis uh, and priority. But, but we, in order to build that stakeholder buy-in, we use that XCOM to help us focus those major investments. That's how we work to stay relevant. That's how we work to make these the, the most critical things to, to go and work on. And, and lots of things happen at that time, by the way. Not everything leaps into becoming one of these major Vanguard programs. Um, We're launching efforts at at other areas below that. So we're launching something we call significant 6-3 investments. So 6-3 advanced technology development that isn't quite ready, doesn't maybe have that stakeholder buy-in yet fully to to commit to Vanguard, but is significant. And and we're also investing 6-2 efforts as well. So if you look holistically across our portfolio of the two organizations I mentioned, in SDPE and TCO, we're synchronizing... Uh, budget activities from 6-4 to 6-3 to 6-2 and even a little bit of 6-6 there in our development planning side. So um, the opportunity and the impact can be really great by aligning all those resources and focusing on the priorities of the department. Um, So that's kind of how the process overall flows Uh, and right now it's an annual process uh, and so we have kind of a surge of development these these proposals. We're working to make it uh, more of a a year-round process, if you will, where we have yes. uh, strategic points and decisions during the year. Yes, but yeah, but yeah. some concepts take longer to refine than others. Not every concept can be can be totally uh, well understood, defined, and get your stakeholder buy-in in, in six months. For example, sometimes it takes longer, but it doesn't mean it's it's not an incredibly important area to work on. So that's the nature. Is even again watching three cycles now. How do we start building up out-of-cycle concept development opportunities and development and so forth? So that's how it's all kind of coming together for Wartech
0: for us. No, that's a fantastic explanation. You know, uh, about six months ago or, or so, I had talked to uh, your Wartech team, and uh, what's what's clear. And once again, it's it's the maturing of Air Force futures, but the granularity of what the warfighter wants in terms of future concepts and then the derived requirements. You know, that's still being uh, uh, brought up to speed. Uh, there's a lot of training. There's a lot of skill sets that need to be restored. But it seems that that uh, perhaps ahead of the kickoff of the cycle, you know, a refresh on those priorities that come out of Air Force Futures might might kind of supercharge your cycle, even maybe even uh, cut it down a bit.
1: That absolutely, completely agree. That would be really important to us. The, the better we can understand the, the needs of the future force, the better we can focus these WarTech activities
0: and, and, and products. Yeah, yeah. So, so real quick, what's the difference between how AFRL is handling, uh, choosing an initiative within WarTech advice how it would uh, traditionally be done at AFRL.
1: Yep. And you know, you mentioned that that a while back we'd had probably a stronger direct relationship between technologists and 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 the MAGCOMs, the operators. Um, AFRL's been working over the past year and a half or so to, to rebuild that relationship and has established a new annual battle rhythm. And I guess the most important thing to realize is that these are not done in, in, in a vacuum, right? Our war tech yeah. process is done based on a knowledge of where AFRL investments are, where opportunities are, um, where gaps are, you know, where, where 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 can we address transformational capabilities that the, the rest of the uh, laboratory has not yet uh, has not yet been able to focus on? And remember, there's significant science and technology going on up there. We we took off 20% and, and helped to focus it on transformational capabilities, but 80% is still building all of that discovery and technology development and maturation out there that is such a critical foundation for, for what we do. So in, in, in essence, WarTech is a process. The process operates with the knowledge of where uh, AFRL investments are. And similarly, as we make TCO and WarTech-based investments, the laboratory looks at those our mission area leads across the uh, across the afro enterprise track where those are going and, and feed that back into their 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 decision-making process of where to invest in technologies the other part you know what's exciting is um tco and wartech tends to to focus on on relatively short-term technology mature technologies to get into yeah. the, the transition sooner but a- in the process we find that we identify ST opportunities that could make a huge difference. So, things like, I'll throw out a couple things like rotational detonation engine is one of the ones that we've identified, and we've identified far more than that. But um, so, areas where, where the technology directorates in the core part of AFRL can know that, that investments in those areas are going to make a big difference. And then, when they have developed those to a sufficient maturity, we can accelerate those into
0: capabilities through the TCO in partnership with the rest of AFRL. So you've uh, talked about these partners uh, uh, earlier, and uh, the value they bring. You've got Air Force Futures, Madcoms. You mentioned the operational units, even the Warfare Center. How, how I noticed that you are not going up a stovepipe of staffing, across a stovepipe, and down to get. You are actually this this term stakeholder is about developing something that's more efficient more of value so how do you gain their participation and how are you showing value back to them um,
1: you know obviously different for each organization but uh, what, what I found in in Air Force futures and I think we'll, we'll see some of the same things uh, in uh, on the space side of the house as well is is a realization that what we bring to the table we what we bring to the table is, uh, a an let's say an army of, of scientists and engineers um, that can that can create an entire leverage for them. So as as Air Force Futures wants to conduct um, uh, workshops to, to explore new technologies, they want to explore or, or or have concept development uh, activities we can be such an important part, uh, a partner, an engine for them to help accomplish that. So that's where I really found the value is as we started organizing these WarTech activities, we found incredible support from the, the future force elements of air and space force, from the operators and the magcoms and COCOMs and field commands and so forth. So it it's resonating very strongly. We can, be, we can create a framework that helps support their fundamental objectives. And I found really strong support in, in getting that from, those, those, uh, from all of those different uh, parts of the community. We've also had strong support from across uh, Air Force Research Lab as well, the subject matter experts, TCO, and, and the folks that run the wartech process, small team, right? Um, yeah, about right. 20, 25 people right now. Um, so we rely on, on the might of the FRL to help us execute those. But that's fundamentally, we have a common set of objectives and when we can create those events that stimulate uh, stimulate concept development and exploration, I'm finding really strong support for what we do there.
0: Yeah, and we've we picked up that up too, talking to some of the tech directors uh, who've been involved in, in a couple of the cycles now. Um, so uh, the daring question is, if you could wish for one more thing you could achieve with the partners, you know, is there is there a dimension to these relationships you would enhance or uh, is there something else you need?
1: you know i fundamentally engagement 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 right the more the more we can get the right people into the room when we hold those those concept development exploration uh the red team events i i absolutely cannot complain I've been really pleased uh, and excited about the support we've got but even more would be better that being said we recognize that that they have a mission to accomplish too and it's many other things in our wartech process so finding that right balance is critical but engagement um, has been fantastic and um you know we've gone through we're in our third cycle now virtually all of our wartech activities were done under covid conditions so uh, that's yeah. really challenge especially when you're dealing with classified concept development under those conditions but the team did an uh, i think an incredible job
0: i hadn't factored that in that's a, that's a good point uh well so how about external actors you know we've talked a lot about inside the department of defense but you know, industry, private investment, outside, you know, talent? Yep.
1: Um, Again, part of why we've shaped, we added that scoping phase to to WarTech to create challenge problems that we can share. Um, We started that um, maybe in earnest this cycle, the third cycle. So we've actually had a preliminary industry outreach uh, event already where we've shared where some of those concepts are going. And next week, uh, we'll be in D.C., in fact, uh, at at Andrews Air Force Base in a classified forum to bring in industry one-on-one to meet with them and start talking about concepts that address the the, the challenges that we identified last time. So we want to get better and better and better at doing that. And again, we've been successful not only in the classified world with traditional DoD um, uh, developers, but through our partners and AffWorks in particular, we've been able to leverage many of the different kinds of challenges that they um, that that they conduct and and do them in partnership with AffWorks, and that's been fantastic. You know, not reinventing the wheel, not trying to, to build what they've you know already been so successfully developed, but to leverage them as a partner is a perfect way to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Once again, no ego. Um, so as you work through this, I know we're in the you know third cycle. The first one was probably. I can't imagine what, what, what a sweat lift that was, but uh, to start it from scratch. But but how do we know that WarTech is living up to the goals set for it? And maybe, you know, what does success look like? If we were to grade your homework, what does success look like?
1: Yep. So, uh, you know, one of the things I, I, I failed to mention, it's one of the most important things that we're doing. The uh, operational imperatives that the secretary of the air force has established, right? Of course, um, yeah. They, you know, our, so our, our war Tech, our third vortex cycle um, is was was initiated after the, or, or I'm sorry, before the uh, operational imperatives were identified. Um, needless to say, the operational imperatives are going to become a key focus area, the, probably the key focus area for us for all future spirals. And so, um, when you talk about how do we know? You know what does success look like. How do we know we're doing well? Uh, qualitatively, I'll say this: as I look at the products that are coming out of WarTech Two and going into WarTech Three, I, I look at those and and realize these kinds of effort did not exist in the laboratory before. And and wow. I look at them and 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 then as the operational imperatives come online, I look at them again through that lens and say these are still extremely not just relevant but critical to achieving the the we call them the OIs right for the secretary um, so so qualitatively that's kind of my uh, my observation is i'm i'm excited about the product that i see coming out of our wartech process we're we're using uh, the operational imperatives now are becoming even more specific uh, challenges for the future force i think resonating with what has come out of air and space future force developers they're creating some very specific uh, constructs that support uh, that will drive what we do and, and again, as I look at and map what we're doing into those, I see a really strong alignment. In fact, you know, arguably uh, things like the operational imperative three and six that are looking at how we leverage um, unmanned systems unmanned te- uh, for, for teaming purposes, those really are coming out of the success of the laboratory and, and, and in particular some of our Vanguard programs. And all of our Vanguard programs uh, are, are prominent inside of the uh, operational imperative. So uh, the, the final thing I think is is we want to do more than just subjective assessment of, of the portfolio. It's going to be about uh, we're working to develop actually quantitative measures of it and and things about I look at it through the lens of what are that what are the chains the mission effects chains that we have to accomplish in the future the kill chain, ISR chain, um, command and control those kinds of things and I think we'll develop metrics quantitative metrics that help us understand. Are there gaps there? Where do we need to focus? And where are the priorities along those lines? So lots of different demand signal that drives what we're doing, but alignment and and being uh, identifying the critical path in those efforts and going after that is, is gonna be the starting point for us, I think.
0: Yeah, and, and of course those wins will showcase uh, uh, the success of the program too. Okay. Uh, it's interesting you bring up the unmanned piece uh, in many cases, the lab is leading in terms of uh, thought uh, that's still you know, being uh, negotiated up at Air Force Futures and out at the MAGICOMs as to, hey, what's that flight plan and how do we develop trust? Our uh, fellow here at Mitchell, Heather Penny, has done some writing on this, and we've got some uh, in the future coming out. look forward to that. It, it's uh, trying to help bring that, uh, that on-ramp uh, into better focus. Uh, but, Chris, I guess you know, one of my last questions for you before we go to the audience here is uh, what's the cost of, of the whole TCO you know, portfolio but WarTech not working? I, I'd argue that this has to work given what's at stake, talking about speeding up, uh, gaining those concepts and capabilities for a world that is very, very dangerous
1: I, uh, I totally agree. I guess the thing I would I would state is is that we genuinely operate with a sense of urgency uh, and, and criticality in what we do. Um, you know Chief Brown's uh, accelerate change or lose I mean that's in part of our our DNA I think before he even cited it uh, or certainly in and in around that time because I think that's close to when we stood up the organization. but um, I I, abs- I totally agree with you. We, we can lose the next war absolutely. And, and I am, am doing everything I can in this organization, my team is to focus on, on what it takes to win. And, and not, just, not just interesting science projects, but ones that are really critical to enabling that future force. So totally agree, this is, this is accelerate ch- change or lose time and, and we're in it.
0: Well, I, I'm, I'm just uh, I've, once again, fortunate to have uh, sat down and talked with some of your folks. There's some of the best I've met. Uh, not just in ST but across the, the enterprise. And uh, we certainly look forward to a follow-up down the road on the progress in 3.0 and then looking into 4.0 cycle. Yes. Uh, so thanks for the discussion, Chris. We're going to now open the session to questions from the audience who have been listening to our conversation. As a reminder to our listeners, uh, you can participate in the Q&A, use the raise hand function on the uh, app, And when I call on you, don't forget to unmute. Uh, Please state your name and affiliation before you ask your question. Uh, And we'll go to that right now. I've got some typed in questions. Um, This is is, uh, from an old friend of mine, uh, Mark Tapper. We flew F-16s together like in 1920. Um, he, He asks, are you willing to expand the makeup of the XCOM. Uh, evidently he understands what the XCOM is made up of. You might want to address that. Let's see. Uh, are we Are
1: we willing to? So the way I, I guess I would phrase that is that would be a job for the XCOM to decide. So, you know, they're, yeah. they're the generally two-star panel that is that is overseeing our activities. And, and it really is an interesting model to separate those decisions and portfolio investments and allow an XCOM. i haven't i haven't seen anything like that in in our laboratory ecosystem so um i think i think the XCOM would always continue to look at how to um uh how they can also evolve over time that those decisions uh, the stand-up of the space force forced uh, a rethinking of that to some extent already
0: yeah yeah there's there's kind of an echo of a corporate process where you get You know, you don't have to have everybody voting on the XCOM uh, necessarily, but you can uh, garner kind of a broader uh, uh, bench of support. Uh, We have, uh, with a raised hand, Bob Ho, go ahead.
2: There we go. Thank you very much. First of all, I'm Bob Ho, I'm retired Air Force and have served uh, over the years on both sides of this fence, uh, flying, uh, then in requirements at the MAJCOM and then acquisition at the Air Force level. And I'm really pleased to see that we're continuing this, this initiative, uh, particularly when you mentioned, Chris, you mentioned something that is near and dear to my heart, that's establishing quantitative metrics, okay? Which is very difficult, at least it has been over the years. Uh, and one of the key parts of this as you have said many times, both of you, the importance of early operator involvement. And we've tried that, at least for the last 40 years that I've been uh, known about it. But the problem, and you mentioned resourcing things on this, uh, General Stuttrum, and that the resource is the people. And we were always torn because of the overtasking of individuals in the operational requirements world, to, uh, you know, you're doing your job, people now are trying to figure out how to support operations over in the Ukraine. And uh, and yet it's critical that they are able to be uh, resourced to work with AFRO technology community. Uh, yes. How, how are you budgeting? Are you budgeting to help these people Attend and be on site and so forth with the technology community because uh, it has it's always been very difficult on the operational side to 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 break loose the the funds for these things. Thank you. Yes, and thanks, Bob. Um, Yet yeah, the so the the short
1: answer to your last question is is we have certainly done that. We we where 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 they're needed, we'll provide the resources to bring the teams together to conduct these important. Um, these important activities.
0: Yeah, and Bob, I'll just add: uh, it is a, a challenge today. Uh, you know, there's been an exodus of uh, war fighting talent. We're not just talking operators. You know, there's a dearth of uh, of excess with uh, intelligence, uh, logistics, and so forth. So it is a heavy load, but that's why the mechanism that I see uh, Wartex put or Chris has put together with WarTech, it really allows an efficiency to uh, take advantage of their participation in a very tight way. Uh, And that's, as you said, Bob, up front, uh, Chris, I think, I think that was part of the initial design. Yep. Yeah. And one of the other
1: things I want to have a little shout out to is the test community as well. So both Afotech and the air force test center have been incredible partners for us. And, and, you know, Aphotech, for example, created a two-letter to actually engage us and support experiments, realizing that we wanted to have an operational understanding of the value of some of the experiments we were ultimately running at the 6.4 level, um, but, but that we didn't want to do that in a rigorous uh, OT kind of environment. We wanted to be able to explore those. And like, similarly, Air Force Test Center uh, across many of their different um, facilities, including the 96 test wing, an incredibly close uh, partnership there. So bringing all these teams together ultimately and getting them in the field, I bring up test in particular for uh, a, another reason. The, a, a, again, as we start looking at transformational capabilities, it's once you start actually demonstrating them getting them in the hands of the warfighter that you start to build confidence and trust in the warfighter and you know perfect example you mentioned the unmanned systems you take you take systems like our skyborg effort until we started getting that in the air and actually demonstrating autonomous behaviors demonstrating the power of of, of moving the autonomy core from from one platform to a fundamentally different platform that that i think we really started to to get some momentum uh, on on looking at at uh, transitioning these capabilities as well.
0: Again, okay, yeah, oh, thank you very much. Thank you very you much. Thank welcome. you. Hey, we'll go to uh, my my buddy Mark Tapper. Just raised his hand. Let's see what he has to say. Mark. Hey, thanks, Stutz and uh, Chris. Good
1: to see you Back. both. Appreciate your time and and Chris. Really appreciate your uh, insight in the wartech Hey, you mentioned the corporate process, Stutz and. Uh, Chris, I know, you, I know you love working through that. How is uh, the work tech process and all this actually bouncing up against uh, the corporate process as it goes, the requirements process, then comes back around to feed, you know, what they ask you all to do? Um, I would say, so corporate process, you're thinking like uh, drivers that are coming out of the fives of, of the world. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, uh, as you get to the CDC, you know, obviously else has to come and they have to set the priorities for the requirements across the, you know, department of the air force and the capability development council. Yeah. And that grind still goes on. And so, you know, you want to go fast sometimes is completely counter to what that process works and how is that marriage happening or is how they figured that out yet? Well, actually, so there's, there's two worlds I live in on, on the six, four side of the house. Um, we, we had the capability of on the council that kind of got disbanded. Um, we are actually using a, a, a forum now on that part of the side of the house to bring the five, the eight, and the, the acquisition, the, the queues of, of the world together to review our major experiments and prototypes before we launch into them. And that has worked out really well, actually. has not slowed us down in any way. In fact, I, I would argue that's more of that stakeholder buy-in. We have to have stakeholder buy-in. The eight is a key part of that as well, not just the requirements out of five. Acquisition needs to be on board and the eight needs to understand what the what the funding is gonna look like if this is gonna be a real capability. Um, that being said now, if I look at the other side of the house, the s and side, we're able to go quickly because that the same executive committee, which is uh, sort of like a, a corporate process, um, they make rapid decisions for us. So we we queue we up. We have actually, that was actually been a process improvement too. We've actually got to the point now where we're actually signing and document, documenting the uh, decisions made at the time of the meeting when we meet with that XCOM to, to make some pretty significant investments in science and technology. So it's not slowing us down now. Um, in fact I, I don't anticipate it being a problem I, and I think as we get to wartech to be more of a continuous process in some capacity um, that'll be another test for it but I think I think it's actually going to help us increase our agility
0: over time uh, great to hear thank you very much hey thanks tap uh, we have a question here Chris uh, a couple of them let me just generalize them. Uh, the balance of unclassified discussion in WarTech and classified, uh, how you ensure that what's in the SAP realm is visible, I guess on your your tech scans, can you address some of that?
1: Yeah, um, that's a really important point uh, and we would fail without accomplishing that. So we, uh, I guess I'll be cautious here and to say that we have processes and, and some of our folks specifically are engaged in uh, in those higher levels of classification so that we understand that what we're working on is not duplicative, not irrelevant and so forth. So we have processes by which we ensure that we are resonating with with classified investments as well. And in fact, fantastic partnership with the organizations that work that.
0: Yeah, Uh, industry question here also uh, about, Uh, How do you ensure that industry is involved from a thought leadership point of view that they can offer more than just trying to vend their products, which, of course, you know, these are also good ideas that they've engineered with their internal investment. But how how is that quality? How do you engage with industry, I guess, is the right fundamental nugget?
1: You know, it, it, that's an area that we're still improving on. I think because anybody that knows me that knows that, that the strategy interchange meetings that we've sponsored every year, the one of the fundamental uh, objectives of that SIM was to share enterprise level challenges with the industry across the board, so that we're all we're all working toward the same objectives, right? Now um, we, we've we've got we've we've changed our our war tech process specifically to share challenges that we're identifying. Um, uh, and, and looking for ideas, not just what you're doing now, but ideas of what you could do to address it. So it's opening that aperture up a little bit more. And and then more, uh, more and more, what I want to see is is proactive engagements with industry, where you help us identify areas that we should be focusing on based on your insights and knowledge and expertise as well. So I expect to see our our SIM, our strategy interchange meeting and other events with industries start to open that aperture up even more so to help us. Not a guarantee that we'll go and focus on the areas you identify, but we want to have that awareness. We want to have an opportunity for you to help us establish uh,
0: priority focus areas. Hey, Chris, uh, also, let's see, can you uh, talk a little bit about where in your process or after the process do you begin to Uh, address transition if a demonstration looks like it's on track to potentially uh, be transferable to a warfighting capability. Yep. So we
1: have a, we have a framework that we've developed uh, that will actually uh, dovetail really nicely into the the digital ecosystems that we're all trying to build out these days. And part of that is, is as we start to establish an, an awareness of, of the, the, the this transition specifics, what does it take to transition this capability and so forth? Um, so we, we've got a natural framework that as the technology continues to mature, we will, we will track that um, and facilitate transition. But then specifically, you know, we, we again, bringing our six four arm into the, into the equation, we want to be able to take it to that next level to help accelerate it. Right? So it's not just the uh, a science and technology demonstrator, but how do we bring yeah, it in? Right. To, an operational capability, yeah. at least as a demonstrator. And, and again, continuing to solidify stakeholder buy-in as we go along, that's all part of it. Um, and, and our process to go to senior leadership uh, to, to help identify our priorities helps to ensure that that ultimately transition will, will, will be facilitated, if you will.
0: Chris, we've just got a, a minute or two left. Uh, so. In the wartech process, as you select, uh, whether it's the Vanguard or something less to continue to curate, I suppose, uh, is there the anticipation that at the end of the demonstration, it will transition or it should be able to, will that be kind of the rule or or will you demonstrate for the sake of advancing a concept of operation or a piece of it?
1: You, you actually touch on something that, that has a uh... A, a cross section of opinions on it. Um, there, there, there are those that worry that we focus too much on transition in, in, the, in the vanguards as they're currently uh, uh, identified. And, and if you recall that those, in, in, as they were nominated and approved, they went up through, was uh, tap mentioned earlier, the, the Court of uh, Capability Development Council for a uh, table slap that they were going to be, that these were gonna be a commitment to transition um, we want to have a range of those. We don't want to we don't want to lose that focus and that understanding that transition is important. But um, in some cases, we really have to try some high risk, uh, high risk develop high risk capabilities, high risk investments to create um, powerful new capabilities. And and transition is not always going to be guaranteed. What what we are looking at is understand what it would take to transition it. Yes, very and, you know, good. As we're developing, what would it take? And yeah. it's got to be something that's going to be feasible
0: to do. Yeah, exactly. Chris, that's, this has been a tremendous discussion. We were at the end of our time. Uh, please pass our uh, appreciation and our praise to your team back there. I know it's small. I know you've been working them hard. You're the right guy to lead this, Chris. And uh, if we can help you here at Mitchell Institute down the road, let us know.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: And thanks to all of our audience today for joining us. Have a great aerospace power Day.